um, I want to be talking over the next several weeks about, I've got lots of ideas as usual, but I want to be talking about what does it mean to be the church right now? What does it mean to live into the middle of this really strange time, this really strange season um, as the church? Uh, Because the things that I'm I'm clinging to, and I, I found myself uh, longing for more theological conversations in the middle of this. I'm kind of tired of the, the news conversations and the social media conversations. I'm really longing for theology conversations and, and, and asking questions about what does it mean to live in this season, um, not just as Christ followers, but as the body of Christ, right? Because the, the Christian faith was never meant to be lived alone, amen? Like it was never, and if we haven't realized that in this season, then I think we've missed some of the meaning of, of what this season should be showing us, is that we are wired for corporate mentality, and, and so that means to be the body of Christ. Um, and, and so as we talk today, I, I want to kind of just give you kind of a behind-the-scenes look at, at where the church is, where New Community as a faith community is, where New Community Buchanan is, New Community Elkins, the New Community Network, as, as we're talking about these things. Um, but I want to show you a passage of Scripture uh, to, to get there, and then we're going to give some, some updates. But, but before we go, you, you can, if you have a Bible, you can go to 2 Corinthians 6. That's, that's where we're going to be today. Um, before we go there, I, I, I read these articles this past couple weeks, and uh, one was written by a guy, and he was, he was summarizing the statistics of church in the middle of a pandemic, right, and, and what people have found. And as most of you have seen, I mean, even right before this service, I logged on to Facebook, and there were like six churches streaming and in a lot of ways, that's super cool. In a lot of ways, it's almost like we have ADD worship now. Like, we're, we can't focus, and so we're going to check that song, and then we're going to check that sermon, and then we're going to... And so, you know, you, you look at how our attendance has been. How's your attendance online? Well, we had 3,000 views. The problem is they didn't last more than 10 seconds. Like, that's kind of the way, way things are going. And, and so this guy had looked at a lot of the statistics, there, there was a study done, and they said that 48% across, this was several weeks old, but across the stay-at-home orders, 48% of regular churchgoers had not watched a service online in four weeks. Like, the habit was just broken. And these are regular committed churchgoers. And then 23% of, of the regular churchgoers had gone and attended online other churches besides their home church. And, and there was kind of just this striking reality that we are in new territory. The church has never been in this place before, right? We are, we are so global now that we're not even connected to a local place often. That's, that's kind of the reality that's, that's happening. Um, I, I read another article that I would, I would highly recommend. You can Google it. The guy's name is Andy Crouch, Andy Crouch Ice Age. Just look that up. But he talks about how we've been treating this pandemic season as if it's a blizzard, Right, many of us in in culturally across the board, not just churches, but we're approaching this season as if it is a blizzard. So let's, what do you do in a blizzard? You just sit down, you wait it out. Don't go anywhere. Just just hang on. We're going to wait it out. And he said, well, there may be some truth to that, but for organizations, right? For for most nonprofits, for most churches, for most organizations, schools, you guys are experiencing this. If you're teachers, it, it's it's more like a mini ice age. Like the next twelve to eighteen months. That's kind of where we are. Like, we're in this space where, as a church, I, I am learning. I, I haven't learned. I'm still learning how to do this job in brand new ways. And this, this job has never existed like this for me before. And so we're in this space where it's uncharted territory, I think. Um, and yet, I believe God knows exactly where we are. Like, I may feel completely lost, but God knows my coordinates, and that's really cool. And sometimes I wish he'd show me and show us, but we're going we're gonna to keep moving through that. So I want to put those thoughts in your mind, and I want to look at this scripture 
And again, I want to just kind of unpack this scripture for you and what I think it says in, in some of these, these spaces that we're facing. So 2 Corinthians 6, we're going to start with verse 1. Here's, here's what it says. As God's co-workers, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, right? He says, as God's co-workers, and if you, if you read through the New Testament, Paul's writings, he's always calling the church God's co-workers. He's always saying, we're co-workers in this. It's never, I'm your pastor, I'm your leader, and you are the followers. It is, we are co-workers. We are in this together. It's, it's a partnership. It's koinonia is the Greek word, is this just devoted partnership. It's more than business. It is, we are in this thing together. So he says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Now, just if you're, if you're taking notes, if you're highlighting on your phone or whatever, writing this down, just circle that word vain, because the word vain means empty or devoid. He says, I don't want you to receive God's grace as if it's empty. Okay, so I was thinking about how to illustrate this, and, and Carrie and I, many of you know Chip Bennett. Um, Chip is a pastor, a Methodist pastor down in uh, Point Pleasant, great friend of ours. And when Chip got married, he, well, let me go back. When we got married, he was the ringleader of tormenting our house while we were away on our honeymoon. So revenge is sweet, right? Like, we waited several years for the revenge opportunity to happen, and we had a horde of people attack his house in loving Christ-centered ways. Like, it was, it was the best thing we could do. And, I mean, just destructive. <laughs> I felt bad for his wife, but not bad enough not to do it. And, and so we, one of the things we did is we took these cement blocks, and underneath his trash bags in his trash can that he forgot to take out before his honeymoon, we put the blocks underneath the trash cans. And so later on, months later, because he was so mad he wouldn't talk to me for a while, um, they came back, and we were asking questions, and he said, I about broke my back going to lift that trash can that I thought was empty that had 60 pounds of weight in it. So here's my point. The word for vain means empty, right? Paul says, I urge you, don't receive God's grace as if it's empty. Don't try to lift this grace thing up into your life as if it doesn't weigh something, as if it doesn't cost you something. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we, many of us as Christ followers, live with cheap grace, Right? We, we intellectually ascribe to a belief in Jesus, but it doesn't really change anything in our lives. And this is what Paul's talking about here. And then he goes on, verse 2, he says, For he says, this is, he's quoting from Isaiah 49, he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. Now, pause there. Isaiah 49 was a prophecy. It was, a, it was the prophet Isaiah writing, Someday there's going to be salvation. There's going to be hope, and it's coming. And he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and the day of salvation, I helped you. And he's quoting this, this song of hope where the people of Israel have been waiting, waiting, waiting hundreds of years. And then Paul goes on to explain this, and he says, I tell you, he says, you've heard this quote from Isaiah, but I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Paul says, there's no more waiting. He said, so let's do this thing, right? Like your co-workers in the gospel, the grace, don't receive it in vain. Take it up. Now is the day of salvation. There is no more waiting. Can I tell you how discouraged I've been at times in this pandemic? I mean, there was a Sunday where I sat downstairs, and, and thanks so much to Nick Rochella and Jason Claypool getting our technology set up so that we could pump out uh, media to you guys and worship, and you could worship from home, and we had stuff, and our kids' town team was putting things together, but I was sitting there on a Sunday morning clicking buttons, going, this is the strangest experience of being pastor that I've ever had, and looking around this basement going, there's nobody here to worship with. What does this mean? And, and, and it was almost like 
I needed this verse this week for God to go, no, 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 now is the time of salvation. It's always been the time. Since Jesus, it's been the time of salvation. In the midst of pandemics and plagues and civil unrest, in the midst of all that's going on society-wise, it is still the day of salvation. Amen? And then Paul goes on and he starts to explore what this means. He says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that, Anytime there's a so that in Paul's writing, you need to pay attention because he's explaining why. He says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Paul says, we're doing this thing together. We're pushing the gospel out forward, but we want to put no stumbling blocks in the way of people coming to Christ. So let me throw this question out for you, and you're going to have to talk loud because you got masks on, right? Mumbles are hard these days, okay? What are the stumbling blocks that you see? What are the stumbling blocks that your friends who don't know Christ are facing, are falling over as, as they're trying to find their way to Christ or you're trying to lead them to Christ. Anything that you're finding with your friends that they're, they're just stumbling over this. And maybe it's our fault. Maybe it's not. Any thoughts? Fear. Absolutely. There's a collective fear across the board right now, isn't there? Yeah. What else? We can throw anxiety in there with that. We could talk about the, the stumbling block of preconceived ideas of what Christianity looks like. It's so legalistic. It's so religious. It's just uh, hypocritical people or overly political people. We just think it's all this stuff or it's buildings, right? There's, there's a stumbling block at points today where people are afraid to gather with others. And so there's a stumbling block. And Paul says we want to remove every stumbling block possible. Now, here's the harder question that I want you to think about. Which stumbling blocks have you put up? Paul says, we as co-workers in the gospel, we want to remove every stumbling block we can. In other writing, Paul says, we become all things to all people. We become all things to all people. So he's saying here, we're getting rid of those stumbling blocks. You know what some of our stumbling blocks are today? Can I just speak honestly? Some of you, your political opinion is more important than your call to mission. And you've caused others to stumble. Some of you, this idea of wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, it's a stumbling block. You know how ridiculous that is? Some of us, it, it, it's our time. We're just so busy. God kind of stripped that excuse away the past four months, didn't he? He just shut down your schedules. Parents, we talk in youth ministry here. Like, this is prime time youth ministry. There's nothing going on yet. Now, sports are trying to get back up, and I love that. But what does this mean? Our time, our energy, our, our, our commitment, what are the stumbling blocks? Paul says, get rid of all those stumbling blocks so that we can be co-workers in, in the gospel. And then he begins to describe the work that they've been doing. And these are the, the verses that I want you to see. He says, rather, as servants, he says, here's what we do. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Now, this is not Paul, by the way, talking about how good he is. He's saying here, we're proving ourselves. The word commend, you can translate it as proving. We're, we're putting all this stuff together that I'm about to describe for you so you can look at our lives as co-workers in the gospel and you can say, look what they're doing. Here's what he says. We commend ourselves in every way. And then he makes this list. Here's how we prove ourselves. In great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses. Anybody had hardship or distress the past four months? Anybody been a little worried? He says in beatings, imprisonments, riots, he says, we're going through those things. We've been beaten for the sake of the gospel. 
in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report, good report, genuine, yet regarded as imposters. You know what he's saying there? He says, we have lived wide open to you. We've put ourselves out there, and our reputation has been slandered because of it. He says, we're known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on. Think about this. Paul had seen his friends be killed in the name of Jesus. He said, we're co-workers in this thing. Dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Can I tell you, that's been a hard one for me these past four months. I've grieved the loss of what church looks like, or what it looked like but trying to rejoice and press on. Then he says, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. And then I love, and this is where we're going to finish these verses, and I want to explain some of this to you. Verse 11, he says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. Isn't this awesome, right? Like, this is just somebody just pouring themselves out. Let me, let me mess this verse up for you a little bit, okay? We say today, I love you with all my what? Somebody shout it out. Yeah, we love from the center of our emotional wellspring is our heart. Now, the, the Greek people, the Greco-Roman people, often they would have said, I love you with all my splagnon, my guts, my bowels. I love you from the very core of everything in me, like everything that's there. And so he says, we've opened wide our hearts. He could have been saying, we're opening wide our guts to you. And then he goes on and he says, we are not withholding our affection from you. I think you can figure this out. He actually, the, the, the words there translate into, we're not restraining anything from the center of our guts. We're letting it all out to you. But then he says this challenge, and this is the challenge for today, church. As we reset, here's the challenge. He says, but you are withholding yours from us. He says, we're not holding any affection from you. We've given you everything. You ever been in a relationship? And don't look at your partner if they're here. Okay, we're going to pretend this is all past. We're not causing any conflict today. You ever been in a relationship where you knew, you felt, you lived like you were pouring everything out, just all that love, all the bowels, the guts, everything, but you knew that person was restraining something. They were holding it back. You ever been there? I can read your eyes right now, by the way. Your faces are hidden, but your eyes are not, right? Paul says, we've, we've given you everything, and you're holding, you're withholding your affection, Remember what he says at the beginning? Don't take the gospel in vain. Don't take grace in vain. Don't pick up something that's loaded as if it's empty. He says, you're withholding something. And here's where he challenges them. He says, as a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. Open wide your hearts. See, that's my challenge, church. In the middle of this pandemic, in four months of time, or almost five months now maybe, of, of, of time at home, of systems shut down, of not being able to worship together, of, uh, of seeing online content that we literally, because I've done it, I'm not guilting anybody, I've done it. I've watched my friend's services. I'm like, man, there they are. I love that guy. I'm going to see him preach. Boom, and I hit the button, and I go, oh, this sermon stinks today. And I turn it off in 30 seconds. I've done that. And that has been church to me the past five months. And Paul says, open wide your hearts. Don't, 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 don't take grace in vain. Don't miss what it means to be the church in this season. 
And so the question today, and, and I want to update you after this from, from where our church is, are you willing to open wide your hearts as new community? Are you willing to open wide your heart? See, many of you that have been here for long enough know that our vision has always been to be a people finding and following Jesus, what? Beyond Sundays. And, and so I, I, I sort of feel a little guilty about the coronavirus. I'm going to tell you why. Because about a year ago, I, I told Carrie, I said, I want Sundays to be the very least important thing that we do. It's not a good thing to pray, right? <laughs> like, Jesus just messed it all up. But I did. That was, that was the heartbeat is that I said, I want Sundays to be the least important thing to, that we do. That should be the thing that we come together and we love each other and we celebrate what God is doing Monday through Saturday because we've always had as that vision, what does it look like to be the people of Christ beyond Sundays? I had no idea Jesus would literally answer that prayer. And he did. Because we have these values, right? We talk, and I just want you to see these again. We have these values where we say stories are greater than rules. We believe that in our church. We believe that God's story is the most important thing. I, students, if you're here in middle school, high school, elementary, I want you to know this. Following Jesus is the greatest story you're ever going to live. It's not about the rules. It's about living freely and adventurously into mission. You're going to blow your parents out of the water if you get what that means. Because you're going to lead them spiritually. Stories are so much better than rules. We say that what we're for is greater than what we're against. Are you so tired of seeing what people are against? I'm so fed up with the social media. Oh, I don't like that. You're guilty no matter what. Because somebody's against it. I want us to start to live for things. We talk about that. We talk about how relationships are greater than programs and seven is greater than one. So seven days of following Jesus is greater than one day and relationships are greater than programs. Man, we've learned that, right? All our programs have been shut down. And then we have this thing where we say we are greater than I. Open wide your hearts. What can we do together that we can't do alone? And then the framework of all those values is that Jesus is greater than all. He's greater than everything else. And so over the past several months, we, we have been navigating what, what does it mean to live into these values, to continue to live into these values. And m many of you know, uh, Josh, it was over a year ago, right, that we brought you on as executive pastor. So I'm going to have Josh come up, and I want to share a little bit. I want you to hear from Josh, and then I want you to hear from somebody else in terms of what this journey has looked like for Josh, because I want you to hear from not just I, but we. This church is led by a we, and, and we are that church. And so I want, I want Josh to first talk a little bit about your journey to this role of executive pastor. And, and I think we've told this story before, but most of, I, I think I've chased off most of the people that heard that. So we've got like a new church. So yeah, just kind of <laughs> share your story. I'm going to grab a stool. Yeah, so I actually came into New Community Church when we were at the VFW. Who remembers that? You really did chase them all, didn't you? Yeah. Um, and I joined the worship band playing bass, uh, and then we moved another building. And Justin said, oh, I heard you play guitar. Why don't you play guitar? And so I played guitar. And then he said, I heard you sing. Why don't you sing? And so I sang. And then he said, I heard uh, that you can lead a band, so why don't you lead the band? And I said, okay. And then he said, why don't you become an executive pastor at our church? I said, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and that's exactly how it worked. Um, but the, the, two, the two biggest parts of that, and that's a really abbreviated journey of, of how, how I made it here. Um, the, the slightly longer part of that is um, I hadn't been in, in a church really at all for any real reason um, since I was in high school. 
uh, went through college and my wife and I moved to Virginia and we couldn't really find a church, so we kind of gave up. Um, and New Community was the first church that, that sort of lit a fire under both of us. Uh, more or less at the same time, we were both saying, oh, this is what church can be like. And so we started attending faithfully. Um, and, and as I was you know, playing with the worship band and, and coming to church and, and, and kind of leaning into that, um, anyone who's kind of experienced this knows that, that when you have a calling, when, when God's kind of poking you, you can't just move to where he stops poking you because he follows you around and he starts poking you and continues to poke you. And so the conversations began with Justin and I, where he was saying, you know, we, you know I really appreciate the things you're doing for the church. Are you interested in having, um, you know, more of a leadership role in the church? I said, I don't really have time. <laughs> but at that point, I realized that that was a calling at that moment that's a calling. And um, when he and I started to sketch out the role of executive pastor, we really hadn't, you know, he and I both kind of collaborated. We didn't really know what it was going to look like when we started it. it. We sort of decided what pieces of this I would take. But in the background of all of this, the nuts and bolts of it was the fact that, that I felt led by God to do something in this church because I've never felt the way about a church that I felt about this church, period. And I don't think I could thrive spiritually, and I hate saying that, and he'd probably yell at me for this later, but I, don't, I couldn't thrive spiritually in a church that wasn't like this, period, for, for so many reasons. And so part of that was the impetus behind me deciding that I wanted to pour myself more into this. The other part of that was God saying, yeah, that's what you're supposed to be doing, poking me in the back about it. So I finally gave in. I said, okay, fine, I'll do that. Um, the, the biggest thing for me is that that well, the way I can illustrate it is this, and I told this story a while ago. Um, we were in the midst of something difficult um, after I had taken this role on. It was a couple of months after I had taken this role, and, and we were trying to solve a problem. And I came home, and Amberly, my wife, is a really good sounding board, and she's typically just kind of stands there. And I, you've, many of you probably haven't seen me, but I, I tend to, I have the stump yelling. The stumps tend to yell. We yell, that's how we get things out, and then we're better. So she just kind of withstands it, and her hair kind of blows back, and then she goes. So we were solving a problem with the church, and I was, you know, just going on a rant. It's, again, we call it the stump rant. And, and finally, at the end of it, she said, do you like doing this? Does this make you happy? I said, yes, that's why I'm yelling, because I care. <laughs> I don't yell about work. I yell about the church. So, you know, it's one of those things where if you don't care enough about something, then you're not going to get mad if something goes sideways because eh, it's whatever. And that's the same way I feel about, about this place and about this calling. Um, one of the things when Justin was sharing the outline for today was, and he wrote it in big letters, what do you do? <laughs> it feels like that scene in Office Space. What would you say you do here? <laughs> um... And the answer to that is, if you asked me six months ago, I'd have said, I really don't know. I'm just kind of doing stuff. Um, the, the role of an executive pastor in most organizations is basically the or, um, kind of a, a chief operating officer type role, where the, this person sort of coordinates big stuff in the church, the behind-the-scenes business of running the church, um, that, that, that things that just don't come together. Um, and when you get to a certain size and a certain point, and you have a certain amount of volunteers, um, and I think this is one of the reasons why you asked me to, to do this, um, at least I think. 
is because it becomes sort of unwieldy. It's hard to herd that many cats, you know, at, at that point. So you need He's to have... politely saying, I stink. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually what you said. <laughs> you said, Josh, I really suck at this. Can you do this? Um, and so I, I took over a lot of the roles um, that sort of are the really boring, dry business of running a church piece. So I administer our database. Any of you who have interacted with Planning Center have interacted with this piece. I, I transitioned us to this big planning center database a while ago, so I'm sort of the de facto database administrator. Um, poor Jody has to deal with me because I've also sort of taken on this strange pseudo financial officer role as well, so Jody has to deal with all of the weirdness and all of my stupid questions and trying to get a hold of me and can we do this, what's this look like, da 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 da, and all of this other junk, so she's been very patient with me. Um, but I, I handle a lot of those pieces. Um, and just general organization, we don't have any programs going on, so that part of my executive pastor role has diminished because we're not doing anything. Um, but those pieces as well, is trying to figure out the best place and the best way to do things if we have an event, making sure that those things are handled kind of downstream. So, you know, I, I'm kind of a point person for that. So if there's an anything, any question that anyone has about, well, how can we do this? and you're talking from a logistics standpoint, you can talk to me. If you ask Justin, he's gonna go, why don't you talk to Josh? So that's kind of my, my piece of that. Um, it, it sounds very boring and very dry, and in a lot of ways it is, but it, for me, it's, it, it's serving, and it's, this is my way to love God and to love this church and to love everybody in it, is to pour out all of these frustration-led things about this church and doing it with love because I do love it and it is something that that when I am laying it in bed at night and I'm stressing out about something it's usually the church um, so you know I love doing what I do here and it's it's something that gives me a lot of fulfillment and yes I get angry and I yell about it and everything but it's because I care and I really understands that so now I, I hope you guys understand that thanks um, and the other piece of that is that this, this was something Josh and I explored and discerned together. This was, this was a calling. This was something that, at the same time this was happening, we had uh, Jesse Roselius, and many of you have met Jesse or, or know Jesse, and we're trying to get him schedule coordinated to come back and share a little bit, who came on as a missionary, right, who said, I want to help launch New Community Network, which is this, this ethereal idea. That's what I'm good at, ethereal ideas with no structure. Um, of how can we resource and network and help churches that are struggling, help people start new ministries in their own backyard, help churches plant, what does that look like? And, and so Jesse came alongside Josh and I at the same time. Um, so we had that happening, we had that we. We also had Abby Golden, who was doing an incredible job with not only herself as a staff person, but also uh, with Allie Fell and Erica, Old Allie Stalker. Sorry, Nathan, you guys. Ouch. <laughs> Congratulations on the marriage. Um, and, and Erica Oldacre and their team downstairs doing just incredible things with, with Kids Town. And probably two years ago, I sensed and, and recognized Abby was not only doing Kids Town so well, she was going into full-time teaching. Um, she had Laney. She was, she was getting busier and busier. And, and uh, during this pandemic, Abby said, you know, I need to step back from this staff position. I need to step down from this and still want to continue to help, and we're going to grow this team and see what happens, but I can't be the point person anymore. And, and honestly, I felt like, okay, you finally told me, well done, right? Like that, was, that was kind of the sense. And Josh and I were out on a run, and I said, you know, rather than just filling 
a kids town position what if we what if we dreamed up this we concept a little bit more um what what does this look like and and how do we step into this and i think it was both of us almost at the same time who said you know we have someone who has expressed this call who's who's sensed this call to ministry and we said we're where do we stink? Where are we bad? And it was like, well, you're logistics, and I've got vision and leadership stuff, and oh, people, we don't do really well at building, connecting, and like Squishy that relational stuff. thing, right? Like, and and we're, we're I'm exaggerating because I, we're, Josh is incredible with leading people and caring for people, and and I'm getting better. Um, but we recognize that in the life of a church, you need that connection point. And, and literally on that run, we both looked at each other and said, Carla Strong would be incredible for this. Um, so I'm going to make Carla come up come on, and uh, share a little bit as well. And the conversation that we have been having very in, informally, come right this way, Carla. That'll be the easiest thing. Yeah, whatever's comfortable yeah. for you. <laughs> um, the conversation that we've been having within our leadership team, with our ministry leaders, has been, you know, this this idea of a, and, and I'm just going to say this to you, in our culture, our context here in West Virginia, a team-based leadership approach to a church is rare. It, it's not common. Um, I will also say it has been my desire from day one to, to build a team. The core value of we are greater than I that's not just a nice thing I put on t-shirts. Like, I actually believe that the church is called to that. And so, as we talked, um, Carla, I'll let you share, but I would love for you to share your journey to this point with, with New Community. Well, yeah. <laughs> when I get nervous, I forget things. So, I don't know what my journey it was. No. <laughs> Inside my head, it was really good. So, if you could get up in there, it would be really good. But anyways... Um, my journey, I thought about this a lot, and I think um, starting with when I first walked into the doors at New Community and how I got there was a good friend of mine, your mom, Linda. She never, I mean, she wasn't annoying not letting up, but every now and then she would just put out there, you ought to come to church, you ought to come to church. And my fear was, well, wonder if I don't like church. wonder if Justin's really bad at what he's doing. And, uh, <laughs> then I'll have to stay because I don't want to hurt her feelings. So anyways, <laughs> so we took the chance and we came to church and I would say it's probably been six years. Um, we had our first grandbaby and I just remember walking into the church and the friendliness and people greeting you and I thought, this is cool. You know, prior to this, I went to first, went to another church. Uh, <laughs> First Community Bank. <laughs> no, I went to another church, but church, traditional church, wasn't like that. You go to church on Sunday, and you leave, and you know you say your prayers at night and fall asleep in the middle of it. That was kind of what it was like. So, when I walked in the door here, it was. I felt like there was something more, and. The Beyond Sundays was a big, you know, theme then. And I thought, this is pretty cool. Like, church is more about than just Sunday. Like, we need to be out there um, talking to people and sharing our lives with people and helping people. And I like that. But I really couldn't figure out, like, what that looked like for me. And um, over the years, I prayed about it and thought at times I had the answer, but God changed his mind, and so <laughs> um, anyways, the year, the 
I think it was two years after that, the Ethiopia team was gearing up, and I thought, oh, I really wanted to do that. And my fears got to me, and I didn't go. And then the next year, it, was, it came up again, and I thought, I am going no matter what. What my fear is, I am going. Like, God's got this. And that was a rough year. I mean, it was the same year that um, my mom was passed away. We went through January, and she passed away in May. Just that whole journey at the same time of going to Ethiopia and that fear. And um, But I just always felt like, I needed more than just church on Sunday. wasn't sure what that looked like, and um, I think that's it. So anyways, I'm here, and Josh and Justin approached me about, do you want me to go into that? Um, <laughs> well, I think one of the questions you asked me was, what was my fear of um, this position? which we'll tell you more about, which we really don't know what it's about, but that's okay. Um, Seeing a pattern here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My fear is when he said, can I say the title? Pastor of Care and Connections. <laughs> so I went through two months of the whole, the pastor part of it. The fear of not knowing scripture well enough, being judged by people, and, but through my whole journey and going to huddles and at the conference, that conference we had um, at the station and praying about that, I just felt a real calling um, to people, and I didn't know what that looked like, and when they approached me about this, my fear was just judgment from others, which is crazy, because I usually don't worry about really what other people think. I mean, I do, but, you know, not with something like this. And so we had talked, and I said, could we name it something else, like director <laughs> of care and connection? We looked up the definition of pastor. <laughs> that helped a little bit. But I think the thing that really helped me was when you said that um, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips those who are called. And... Um, that just really kind of like, I don't know, when serving God, I don't have a fear right now. Like, I just want to put myself out there. I'm okay with messing up and trusting in God that no matter what, that journey will be good. That if there is something bad in it, something good will come out of it. And it's just real exciting. So my fears are kind of like my excitement in, in it as well. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Um, both of these folks, you're hearing them say, we opened our hearts wide. We opened our hearts wide because God wouldn't leave us alone because we felt this call, we felt this thing. Logistically, let me tell you what this means really quickly. Um, <laughs> we pay Josh very little. We pay Carla right now nothing, okay? So we're not changing any of that in this budget year that has been like a cyclone wrecking our numbers. I'm just going to tell you that because Jody's like, is there any surprises today? <laughs> is that why you're up front? <laughs> why, you, why you look frightened? Not, not to mention that we as a church, if you're a partner of this church, if you're a member of this church, we can't do that without your approval. Okay, that's, that's not going to happen. So, so any shift in budget, hiring, staffing, would happen at our annual meeting, which takes place in January. What we are doing is we're consecrating 
Carla Strawn, and if you know Carla and Dave, you know they've been pastoring people for a long time. You know they've already been doing the work of ministry. And we are consecrating Josh Stump as executive pastor. Pastor means shepherd. It means the one who walks beside, who cares for. And we're consecrating Carla Strawn as Pastor Carla. Isn't that awesome? Of care and connections. And, and we're going to do that, right? Because, um, Josh, as you were talking, I had this image of our church over the past, by the way, in pandemic, and I'm about done, I promise. In the past eight years, our church, we, we crossed our eight-year birthday over pandemic. Who knew? It's like turning 50 and you forget. I, I, like, we crossed over that. Over the past eight years, numerically speaking, it's felt like our church has done this, like a balloon, like kind of blowing air in at times, getting bigger, um, then shrinking, then going back up and shrinking. And over the past year and a half, most of you know, we moved buildings twice. We were trying to purchase a building. That didn't happen. We ended up here. We went from two services down to one. We dropped about 80 people in our average attendance. And then as we were starting to rebuild, pandemic hit. Let me tell you how fun this has been for me. And all this has taken place, but as Josh was speaking, here's, here's what I think. I think the church in this season, and I don't just mean our church, I think the church in this season has stopped doing this and become like 16 different balloons, right? Like we don't have a central place anymore. Sundays are not the most important thing we do. For some of you, it's still the central place. You're comfortable. But we've got people that their connection point is online. We've got people that their connection point is you texting them to say, hey, I'm praying for you. That's their church connection. We've got this thing where the church has now decentralized. And I, I'm telling you, that's where the church is going to grow. That's where the church is going to thrive. Jesse is helping us in that. Jesse is coaching us on what it means to launch house churches. We have uh, Nick and Jamie Snyder. If you guys remember Nick and Jamie, they're in Morgantown. They want to launch a new community house church up there. Uh, we've got folks out in Charlestown, West Virginia, that are launching house churches because we're trying to resource them and saying, God, we don't know what church looks like, but help us to be faithful in whatever it looks like. Help us to be adaptable. Help us to be ready and, and to be willing to do that. And so as that happens, we want to strengthen the core of what we have here. There's going to come a day. Friends, stop being all gloomy. There's going to come a day. Kids Town's going to be back. Kiddos, you're not going to have to listen to me every Sunday. <laughs> awesome? Yes. Youth ministry, we're going to get that up and rolling. Those things are going to come back. But I hope the church is forever changed by the mission of the gospel. The other thing that I wrote down, and, I, and this is my last point, a year ago, is that I felt like, and this was in my journal, Carrie and I talked about this, I felt like God was saying, hey, I want you to explore what co-vocational ministry looks like. I have been so privileged to be held up and sustained financially full-time by new community for the past eight years, right? In the midst of that, there's a sense, and it's kind of what Carla was saying about this pastor thing, where you're disconnected from the broader community. I have challenged you all to reach your non-Christian friends. I've challenged you to build into the relationships of those who don't follow Jesus, that you know. But in reality, I'm often disconnected from that because the people I spend time with are church people. And so I wrote that in my journal. God, I don't know what this means. I don't know when the timing is. I, I know I don't want to be a garbage man. Like, that's a missional thing, but that's not my calling, right? So you open the door for what that is. And three weeks ago, the Upshur County Schools posted these jobs, a community uh, in schools site coordinator, which is really wired to work with at-risk children to be a presence in the school that builds relationships between these at-risk kids and the resources in the community. And I was like, that's it. And so I applied for that, and I cannot wait to start that. It doesn't mean I'm leaving the church. It doesn't mean I'm going to neglect the church. My wife will tell you that she, just, she knows what that means. And we rest well, and we play well, and we're going to be pouring ourselves into that. 
But I'm saying you've got three pastors who are all functioning now co-vocationally and are living into the mission of God because we want, and I'm not saying that to lift us up. I'm saying we want to urge you, don't take the growth in vain. You begin to live open-hearted too. What does that mean for you? Does it mean you start a house church? Does it mean you begin to understand, hey, I need to be discipled. I need to be in a huddle. I need to invite my friends to church. I need to invite my friends to online church. I need to give faithfully. I need to just pray for one person to come to Christ. Whatever it is, we're saying open wide your hearts and let's keep doing this thing. Amen? Let's not be discouraged anymore. Let's not be trying to figure out how we come to church with a mask. Let's put our mask on, get over it, and keep worshiping Jesus. And then let's invite our friends into this journey together. So typically, if we were commissioning, this is where we'll close. We're going to skip the last song because I, I talked too much at the beginning. Um, you want to sing with us? You can. <laughs> so typically, if we were commissioning missionaries to Ethiopia or we were um, sending someone out into ministry, I would have you gather. I'd have you lay hands and we would pray. We can't do that right now. But we are going to invite you in just a minute to stand and extend hands towards Carla and Josh. Acts 13 says this. It says, In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, while they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is a tradition of the church to lay hands on and commission people to the work of ministry. So friends, we're in the presence of God gathered now to consecrate Josh and Carla for the pastoral work of new community. It's a pivotal moment. I hope it's a pivotal moment in your lives. We're reminded today that everything we do in the life of the faith community is important and every member of the body of Christ has been gifted for ministry. My hope above all else is that you sitting there go, oh man, if they're crazy enough to respond to this call, Maybe I'm not crazy for thinking God has a call for me. I have this dream. Listen, we can't pay you all, but wouldn't it be cool to have a church full of pastors, a church full of evangelists, a church full of prophets, a church full of teachers? By the way, that's what Ephesians 4 says, is that Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers for the building up of the church to equip them for the works of service. I want to be done. If you're looking for a church where you just come and sit, go find another church. I love you. We need you right now, but go find another church because that ain't here. We're called to the work of ministry. So it's my honor. It's my responsibility to serve in new community, but I also want to charge you all, and specifically today, Josh and Carla, to be faithful in your ministry and devoted to the tasks and the responsibilities that glorify God. May we, which is greater than I, be the church that he's called us to be. So Josh and Carla, we're asking, do you promise with God's grace and his help to faithfully perform the duties of the ministry to which you've been called. If so, would you say, I do? And now for you as a congregation, I'm going to invite you to stand. And here's what I want you to know. This work cannot be done alone. Do you promise to support, to pray for, to encourage, and to cooperate with these servant leaders by your faithfulness to God's work in the church and in the community? And don't take this lightly. We're in a moment where the world needs hope, the world needs grace, the world needs Jesus. If you haven't noticed, everything else falls apart. And if you promise to do that, to support, to encourage, to love, to pray for, to be participating in the work of the church, would you say we will? All right, I'm going to invite you guys to stand. I'm going to stand behind you and pray for you. Jesus, we thank you so much. 
God, for the saints of God called forth to ministry. Lord, thank you for the gifts of Carla and Josh together. Thank you for the life and the energy that they bring. Thank you for the way that they've loved people already. Thank you for the calling that you've placed on them. And I pray now that you would allow them to know, even in this moment, the consecration, the holiness of this sacred call, this responsibility. Father, that they would breathe in your Holy Spirit, that they would extend that spirit into the world around them. May we together love your church well. Father, it has been a hard year for new community but we are still standing. And God, I believe we're stronger than ever, and we praise you for that. I thank you for your grace. I pray for Carla and Dave and their family, God, that you would walk beside them every step of the way, that there would be no stumbling blocks for them. God, I pray for Josh and Amberly and their boys, that you would guide them, Father, into all grace and all truth. Lord, and I pray for us as the church to gather, to unify so that, Jesus, as you prayed in John 17, so that the world may know that we would be one, so that the world may know you are one, and you have love and grace for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we commission, and everybody said amen. And so, thankfully and joyfully, I know this feels official, I should be in my robe, that I don't have. I declare that you are consecrated to your ministry, now to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. We celebrate what God has done with Pastor Josh and Pastor Carla. And Justin, that other guy. Have a great day. If you want to hang out, if you want to congratulate these guys in your peace sign way, whatever you want to do, um, we love you guys. We're so glad that you're hanging in there with us. We'll see you.